Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hi, everyone. Lisa Tarmati here at Pushing the Limits. I have got a very special treat for you guys today. Uh, this is I want you to remember this moment because afterwards you're going to think in, a, in a bit, six to eight months' time, you're going to think, how the hell did you get him on your podcast? It's one of those... <laughs> types of moments okay so i'm here sitting here with tom cronin who is sitting in sydney australia and tom has an absolutely amazing story and he's going to share his journey today and what he's been getting into and i'm not going to give too much away um because it's a pretty exciting story so tom welcome to the show it's lovely to have you oh, it's great to be here thanks for inviting me along no, it's, it's excellent. So, Tom, I want you to uh, give us a little bit of a background on who you are and, and what you've been doing for the last, well, I know that you've been in finance for 26 years, I believe, um, and how your life's taken this massively different turn of late. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of it meanders life, doesn't it? It's an interesting process. It's not a straight line. It's like a river that f- sort of flows around bends and corners. Um, so I was started off in finance as a broker. I really was ultimately going to do journalism at, uh, and, and, you know, write articles for time magazine. That was my dream, but I had some months to fill in before, um, university started after backpacking around the world and blew a lot of my money <laughs> traveling. And so, um, I got back to Sydney and decided to just apply for a bunch of jobs and landed by default on a trading room floor, trading swaps and bonds on international finance markets. And it was 1987. And if anyone's seen Wolf of Wall Street, it was that was the same year, 1987, that he started his career. And it was very, very similar to that. It was like a massive trading room floor, lots of people yelling and screaming, predominantly men. Um, and it was really crazy times. It was kind of like unchecked. There was no HR and, you know, anything went. So a lot of that crazy stuff was actually happening back then. Uh, it kind of gave me shivers to watch that be portrayed and remind me of what my life was like, you know, when I was sort of my late teens, early 20s. Um, so what happened by default was that I just got slipped into the, the culture of that, that time. There's a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking, a lot of, you know, crazy stuff going on. And, uh, I really s- fell into that and was enamored by that. And that showed up in my body with a lot of symptoms like anxiety over time, depression, insomnia, um, panic attacks, really crazy panic attacks. Cause all day you're in sympathetic nervous system state all day fight flight just adrenaline 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 then at night time you're doing drugs and nightclubs and parties and you just literally have no off switch you know it never turns off and so eventually your nervous system just can't handle that level of stimulation it's just too much and so this happened to me in my late 20s i really started to see literally a meltdown happening in my nervous system and uh, obviously, there was two paths to take at that point. One was to go down the path of psychology and pharmaceutical drugs, which is where the doctors were sending me. Yeah. And the other path, which I, I just felt the doctor's path and the psychology and the pharmaceuticals just wasn't the right path for me. I don't know why. I just intuitively felt that wasn't the way to go. And that's when I explored meditation and Eastern philosophy and the mind and the nervous system. And a bit like your story, you know, it just blew me away what I started to sort of discover. And I, I really felt so drawn into this space and I could see such immediate results through the meditation that I, you know, literally brought it into my life and everything started to change. And look, I didn't just suddenly walk out of finance. I actually stayed in that job for 16 more years wow. uh, doing broking, but just not drinking, not doing the drugs, and, you know, meditating twice a day, going to retreats and then started doing my teacher training. 
and became a meditation teacher part-time while I was still a broker. Um, so I'd leave a trading room floor of yelling and screaming and turning over billions of dollars of swaps and bonds and then start teaching people how to meditate in a studio in the city. <laughs> um, eventually I got so passionate about meditation, I could see the effect it was having on my life and people's lives that I wanted to make a, uh, a global movement around meditation. And that's when we created the Stillness Project. I left finance and started to uh, inspire people to learn how to meditate. And part of that process was to make a feature documentary about the power of meditation to move us through crisis and transform us. And that's right. where we're at now. I was just about to bring that out. Right. And we won't go there yet because I want to get, dig a little bit deeper into this. <laughs> sure. The, to be an investor, you've got to have a very logical mind. You've got to be very high-performing. You've got to be you know, very intelligent and very much, like you say, under that pressure and that pump all the mm. time. How does that fit with the, the picture that most people have of someone who's into meditation, is relaxed and, and, and really intuitive? And, and it, they're, they're polar opposites in the brain, really, aren't they? How yeah. does it manifest itself? I mean, obviously, you were having troubles. And as you said, the, the sympathetic um, nervous system was in overdrive and you were getting all these problems but you know how did that sort of was that a big shift for you mentally yeah i mean first i just clarify that uh, i was a broker non-investor so i was trading for the investors the investors would do their transactions through me so if you want to buy some shares in a company you'd ring a broker uh and i was doing that just in finance uh industry so that swaps bonds currencies cash bank bills we're all traded on a money markets or the global finance markets. And so I was doing the executions for the traders. But one thing I want to clarify is that there's no stress response. So there's, there's no stressful situations in life. What we have are situations and those situations are interpreted by the subjective viewer of that experience, which is means it's relative and it's subjective based upon your experience of what that situation is. Absolutely. So, you know, when you were four and you dropped your ice cream, you had a huge emotional upheaval. So the subjective observation of that experience was worthy of a stress response. But when you're 30 and the same situation happens, you don't have the same stress response. So is an ice cream falling off an ice cream cone a stressful situation or is it worthy of a stress response based upon the observation of that experience? So for the first 10 years of my career, I had extreme stress responses to those situations. And for the next 16 years of that career, there were some days I had stress responses. I wasn't a completely enlightened monk, but I had certainly over time a much more reduced stress response to those situations based upon my observation of it and my interpretation of it and my um, state of my nervous system that was going into that situation was in a much more robust state that didn't uh, have the same stress response. So you were able to control more your thought patterns, the, the, the stress, the release of the stress hormones um, and doing that through the meditation and through the, the other practices and the learning. So increasing your consciousness had, had led to the ability to be able to not freak out because most people go through life um, and this is a generalization, but most people go through life in a very reactive state. So we are reacting, you know, all the time. And, I, and I, you know, I have to admit still, I'm also not an enlightened monk and I do react to situations still mm -hmm. and I, I, I'm working on that constantly. And it's not like you just can turn off on a switch and you've learned it one day, you read it in a book and now you're always zen calm, no matter how much um, proverbial is hitting the fan you're not able to do that. So what are the steps that you can do to actually start to take control of the, 
of the mind to stop it sort of going off on a tangent. You know, if you get cut off in traffic, for example, mm-hmm. you know, road rage, your immediate response is, you know, stuff you and you're and you're having a reaction and you're actually causing harm to yourself not the other person who cut you off which is the stupid thing isn't it um so how do you control that emotional impulse to react and the 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 adrenaline and the cortisol and the norepinephrine and all that sort of stuff that pours out into your system how do you stop reacting to that well it's less about control because control means doing something you 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 shouldn't do but you, you know, you know, you shouldn't do it and you try not to do it, but you want to do it. Um, there, whereas this is that you just don't feel the reaction. You don't need the control because your nervous system, because of twice daily meditation. So I emphasize uh, what I teach is a technique that, um, is recommended to use twice a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. And by sustaining those deep levels of restfulness that come through meditation practices, particularly the deeper meditation practices. What happens is your nervous system, your cortisol levels, your um, adrenaline levels, you just don't simply function in in that space. You're naturally sustaining um, a parasympathetic nervous system situation consistently. So there's an equanimity that happens that you constantly move through situations. So when someone cuts you off from traffic, it's not like I've got to try and hold myself back from putting my finger up and not yell at that person. It's just like, Oh, isn't that interesting? They must be in a hurry or they must be, gosh, they must be feeling stressed. I feel for them. Um, you know, you're just in a state that is naturally calm. And therefore when something happens unexpectedly in life, which is going to be nearly every day, you're in a more of a mild fascination of those situations. We call it moksha, M-O-K-S-H-A. It's a Sanskrit word that means freedom from the binding effect of life. So exactly what you said, most people are in reactive mode. So they're in this subject object phenomenon state, which means that there's a subjective viewer and there's the object, which is the formal phenomenon. And there's this dynamic that happens between us, which is if that formal phenomenon doesn't meet our expectation, um, then there's an effect on the subject, which is us. Yes. And in, in, in meditation, through meditation, I should say, we transcend that duality. We start to be in a state of, um, non-reactiveness as we start to just observe life in a much more mild fascination and we're freer from it affecting us on this constant barrage of battering our nervous system. Yeah. So, so how does that practice, how does someone practically get into this? Because <clears throat> a lot of people, some say, well, I know I should be meditating and I should, I know, but when I, when I go to meditate and I'm sitting there quietly, I can't control bringing back control but i can't get my thoughts to to quieten down and and a lot of people give up pretty much in the early phases because they don't see the results in two minutes do they they they, you have to you have to overcome the state and i know that in my life i've been very um in the past very uh super overactive mind and very you know much about high performance and go 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 and constant pressure on the nervous system and constant um and you 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 can operate like that and you achieve amazing things but at the same time you're 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 not happy and you're falling to pieces on the inside mm-hmm. um but sitting quietly was one of the hardest things for me to do you know like and i would say to people when they say you should be meditating i'd be like i run that's my meditation why is that not a meditation? Because I, I now understand why, but I want to you know, 
what's your take on, you know, saying, well, running's a meditation, just like sitting there. Why do I have to sit still? Why do I have to sure. actually quieten my mind in that way? Yeah, there's two components to what you're talking about. That one was, you know, how do people sit still? Why do they, you know, find that they might give up because they're getting thoughts in their meditation? Firstly, uh, there's so many different types of meditation, so many different ways people can learn meditation. What tends to be happening these days is a lot of people just jumping on an app and trying to meditate um, because they say, empty your mind. And what's going to happen is without the supporting information, and the correct guidance from a well-qualified well teacher, um, they're going to not have all the information that they're going to need to master the art of meditation. So I just ran a course of meditation over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, uh, it was a 10-hour course that they have to go through a lot of learning, a lot of information, a lot of um, uh, supporting evidence and theory and understanding and information around the practice uh, that gives them a deep understanding about the physiological impact of meditating, the impact on the nervous system, the impact on their biochemistry, why they're going to have thoughts in meditation, why having thoughts in meditation can actually indicate they're meditating quite well because there's a lot of stresses in the system and they're going to want to come out of the body when we start to meditate, which is going to ironically uh, create more thoughts during our meditation. So we can have some very med busy meditations, um, strong physiological reactions during meditation that are all indication that you're meditating quite well and something very right. beneficial is happening. But if you don't understand the mechanics of why that's the case, then you're going to probably think you're not a good meditator and give up. Exactly. So finding a teacher that can take you through a deep understanding about the process um, is probably a good starting point. Um, and Secondly, uh, you know, is running a meditation? No, running is running, dancing's dancing, golf is golf, swimming is swimming, and meditation is meditation. So people keep saying, oh, "I run," that's my meditation. So no, you run, and that's running. Um, it can be a nice and very beneficial, obviously, exercise. Swimming is a very beneficial exercise. Dancing is a very beneficial thing to do. They're all really good for you. But let's not confuse these things. Um, you can get into some really nice states of, uh, you know, mental, a mental state while swimming. You can get into a really incredible mental state while you're running. There's no question about it. Yeah. Um, and they can be very um, beneficial mentally for you. But the levels of physiological rest that happens in meditation when our mind is still and our physiology is still is what we're really looking to achieve here. So if you think of stillness and silence, they're the absence of noise and motion. Okay. Stillness and silence is the absence of noise and motion. So stillness and silence is always there. It's just that we have a lot of noise and motion on the top of it. Yeah. Just as there's blue sky always there, but most of the time there's just a whole ton of clouds. Yeah. And so what we want to uh, experience is, is start to connect with the stillness and silence that's within us. And that comes through meditative practices that allow us to get into that very core of who we are. Most of us are ignoring the very essence of our being yeah. and being is, yeah, it's, it's, it's not in the field of activity, mental or emotional or, or spirit or, or physical. So um, incorporating that, deep stillness of being into our daily state is really giving us the whole experience of what it is to be human. Mm -hmm. And most of us are ignoring a, a very important component of what it is to be human. Because we seem to tend to live our lives on the outside. So we're 
reacting to the environment, we're doing our jobs, we're busy, we're busy. Yeah. And we forget that we have this internal environment when you shut down your eyes and you shut down all the, you know, um, the stimulation from outside, you actually have a space and this scares a lot of people. Mm-hmm. This inner world. Can we go and talk a little bit about this inner world and how to sit quietly? Because often what happens, as you mentioned earlier, when you, have, when you are meditating, you have some very difficult conversations with yourself mm-hmm. and you start to have um, emotional releases and you start to have fears and you start to have all this sort of stuff can bubble up. And, and this, again, I think, stops people from continuing the practice because they're un- it's frightening to sit in stillness. We all like to have either the TV on in the background or some music playing at all times, basically. Um, a lot of people live in a state where they've constantly got entertainment or some, even when they're working, something's always on in the background so that they don't ever have to listen to themselves and find out what's going on on the inside. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're, we're really trapped in a state of distraction. And what we're distracting ourselves from is the very essence of who we are. And inter- interestingly, we're, we're afraid of it. And I certainly had can relate to that, you know, in my early days. But what we're ignoring is we're ignoring the blissfulness, the unconditional lovingness and the deep serenity that lies within us. And we want to drop any fears of experiencing the fullness of who we are and, uh, and, and be, be, really um, welcoming of em- and embracing of that state and, and um, drop any of the fears around experiencing how rich and how beautiful each of us individually are mm-hmm. beyond all the story and the distraction of life. Let go of the story, let go of your drama, let go of your history and, 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 and really relish the exploration into that deep stillness and deep quiet and deep serenity because what you find there is this, this glory and this beauty and this richness and this serenity um, you know, it's called in Sanskrit, Turiya, T-U-R-I-Y-A, and that's the fourth, the fourth states. We have a physical, we have a mental, we have emotional states, but this fourth state, this Turiya, is the state of being. It's the state of presence, the state of awareness. And most of us literally have just been ignoring it like I had, and that was why I had so much suffering. Mm. And Turiya is a state where suffering doesn't exist. You know, anxiety doesn't exist. Anger doesn't exist. Turiya is a state where just where just beauty and and presence and quietness exists. And so it's time for us to start really embracing and realizing that that is within us all. Yeah, absolutely. So can you just talk us through the different types of meditation? Um, You you said you do Vedic meditation as your, your area that you're, what is, what is that exactly is compared to maybe some of the other types of, of meditation and what is, why, you know, is it like religion and there's different religions and there's different types of meditation hmm. or is it a bit different? Um, it's like there's different cars. So, if, you know, I, I want to buy a car. Well, what sort of car do you want? Do you want a Ferrari? Do you want a Porsche? Do you want a, you know, do you want a Beetle? And so they're different techniques to give you different experiences. And I put them into four categories just to simplify it. And there's literally thousands of different meditations, but I like to sort of simplify it. And there's concentration, which is concentrating on one thing. So getting the mind to do something it doesn't really feel like doing, and that's concentrating on one thing as opposed to 40,000 different things. And so focusing on the breath moving through the nostril, focusing on your third eye, focusing on a candle, and trying to keep the mind still so that you can find some serenity and peace. Um, That's quite an arduous process because you're asking the mind to do something it doesn't really want to do. So it does take a fair bit of force 
And it's great if you're in a monastery and you don't have Facebook and you don't have children, you don't have mortgages, you can do that for long periods of time. Difficult in our day-to-day living to do that because we need to analyze and process a lot of information just to live in our life. Um, We've got contemplation meditations and these are really beautiful and it's about attention settings, gratitude, visualizations, chakra clearing. So you are thinking and you have thoughts changing in your mind through the process of contemplation meditations, but you're just being proactive with the mind. So it's more, a bit more of a mindfulness sort of experience of meditation. Then we have chanting meditations, which you'd be sort of chanting out loud, you know, at a yoga class, Om Namah Shiva, Om Namah Shiva, Om Namah Shiva, you know, Om Mani Padmi Ham. There's lots of different chants you can do. Um, and they're really beautiful, generally more practiced in group experiences. Um, but again, you're saying something out loud. There's some levels of motion and activity. And then you've got your deeper transcending style meditations. And that's your Vedic meditation, your transcendental meditation, primordial sound technique, where they're using primordial sounds or beige mantras to take the mind into deeper internalized states of quietness. And the mantra works as a device, as a vehicle to move the mind in a direction it doesn't naturally go. Like we were talking before about distraction, the mind is naturally compelled to go into the outer world where it finds a lot of outer world distractions like Facebook and Tinder and <laughs> The Bachelor and you know, Donald Trump and all your stories and dramas. Whereas the mantra takes the mind in the internal direction into the subtler state of reality, which is the quiet world of formlessness. So no forms, no stories, no drama. And that uh, for me was the meditation that I found the most effective and the most efficient to get me into those deep states quite quickly. And that was the meditation technique that I found was most effective with my students. So I, I, I chose to teach that meditation technique only out of my own personal choice. And it's not to dismiss any other meditation techniques that people are practicing or using. They're all beautiful. And just to do your own research and find the one that you, you want to do. And that was the one I wanted to do. And that would all be beneficial for you. Yeah, in different ways. Of Dr. Bruce Lipton and his work mm-hmm. with uh, yeah. epigenetics and um, the biology of belief. Um, so I love Dr. Lipton. I'm um, hoping to get him on the podcast too. But he, um, he talks about you know, the subconscious mind and the, and the conscious mind and, and how powerless our conscious mind is compared to the Goliath of our subconscious mind and that it runs all these programs uh, that we've downloaded mostly in childhood in our first seven years and, and how we um, are controlled and, and we're, uh, you know, running on this autopilot most of the time that then can sabotage our efforts and our conscious efforts. Um, he talks about, um, for example, self-hypnosis and reprogramming the subconscious mind. Can, can meditation be also a tool to do that type of work? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, we've actually had three minds. We have the 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 conscious mind, which is what you're using to think on a daily basis. We have the subconscious mind, which is a deep program state that happens, like you said, between naught and seven, predominantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we have um, a pure conscious mind, which is a mind that doesn't have any programming in it whatsoever and doesn't have any thinking in it. It's 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 the it's the it's the aspect of mind that has within it all wisdom and all knowledge. And it's, it's, it's a state beyond thinking, but it's a state of reason and wis- not reason, it's a state of wisdom, source of wisdom, source of knowledge. And to transcend gives you access to the pure conscious state where you start to embody your, your mind in the field of wisdom and field of knowledge. 
And we call it Sangita, which is the knower knowing the known all at once. And this happens when we transcend the conscious and subconscious minds. So it's almost like taking an elevator straight into, into, into transcendence and into the field of pure consciousness, which is the field of all creative potential, the field of all possibility, but there's no thought in that space. It's just pure awareness. And what happens from that space is we start to um, uh, correct and purify the subconscious and conscious minds. So it, from that place of observation, we're starting to go, wow, look how I'm conditioned. Look how I'm programmed. Look how I function. Um, that's interesting that I think that way. It's interesting that I've been molded and conditioned that way. So you can look at the conscious mind and the subconscious mind from the pure conscious mind. Wow. And that gives you this great ability. And that's where a lot of Joe Dispenza's work comes from. And that, yes, I, I'm a big fan of Dr. Joe. So, yeah. um, so it's that ability to purify the intellect not just on a conscious level, but also on a subconscious level. Um, and that's the work that needs to be done for all of us because we're yeah. so indoctrinated and we're so programmed, you know, that we're just, like you said, we're, most of us are running, myself included, run on an automatic pilot, partly through our society, partly through our genetics, partly through our, um, you know, conditioning of our family. And so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, programming that we're going to need to up, upgrade. Upgrade, upgrade your <laughs> mind, yeah. And, and is that, that that higher state of consciousness, is that then, um, you know, for the want of a better word, the God consciousness, you know, the is that tapping into the universal state of consciousness, whatever, you know, people believe different things of a higher intelligence and a higher um, yeah, consciousness. Is, is that tapping into the wisdom of the world then? And yeah, absolutely. Wisdom of the universe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is, yeah. 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 So wisdom, wisdom's innate. It's not like, you know, <clears throat> it gets channeled and put into books. It gets channeled by people and put onto seminars. Um, but, but it's ultimately, it's, it's a, it's a omnip, omniscient and omnipotent thing. You know, it's not, it, it can't be exclusive of you. You, you know, it's like you're a container submersed underneath the surface of the ocean. Yeah. So what's in your container, what's around your container is the wisdom. Just that most of us haven't been able to experience it or know it because we're just so deeply programmed and running from a software that um, yeah. is, 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 you know, is, yeah, overriding that. That's, that's, I love that analogy. I use that quite a lot in my, in my mind that, you know, you're, you're, you're in the, you're, you're in, a, in a, the field, water in the, in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, your body is the vessel, but you're actually a part of the ocean. Yeah, um, and and I love that sort of idea that you know, um, perhaps uh, like Dr. Lipton says, you know that that our that our consciousness doesn't die with our body, and that you know it's like a broadcast. Um, he has a great analogy that um, so we're like a TV set that's playing a broadcast, and if a TV set breaks, you're not the broadcast is still there. Just, right, exactly. There, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love that analogy. And I think, um, you know, that, that higher, that the, the mind and, and the experience that I had with my mum when she uh, had her aneurysm and lost her memory and who she was, she had no consciousness of who she was anymore. I'm always asking myself, where the hell did she go and how did she come back? Mm. You know, mm. like if it, if it was just in her mind, like where, where did her being go while she was for nine months completely mm. gone? <laughs> yeah yeah the analogy i like is um very similar to what you're using there is this is this phone the, the wi-fi is not in the phone yeah. the phone's in the wi-fi and if this phone breaks the wi-fi is still there you know the internet i should say the worldwide web of information is still there 
And this is just a device that can tune into that, just as our, our vessel is a device that can tune into that. So. Exactly. And we all have our own uh, consciousness receptors on each one of yeah. our cells. You know, I mean, there's some of the crazy work that, that they're doing in that area. So I, I want to shift gears now and then talk about a little bit um, why is meditation, uh, because I know like this is what's led to the film, which we're going to get to in a minute in the book. Um, why, are, why are we as humanity, I mean, we're facing some massive challenges, you know, like as, as humanity is, we've got, you know, an environment that's falling to pieces. We're destroying the world. Basically we have this, there's so many of us, there's so many pressures on the world. Why is meditation a tool in your mind to be able to change and choose the, you know, the, the fork left or right, whether humanity survives this century or whether and becomes something, which is a lot of the work that I'm reading and learning. A lot of people are saying we're at a crossroads and we are either going to evolve as humans and become better humans and higher evolved and, and not keep destroying the, or the planet or we're going to go the other way. Why do you think meditation is one of the answers for that? I think it comes back to, I think it was Einstein that said this, that you can't solve the problem with the same level of thinking that created the problem in the first place. Mm. And we, we definitely have problems. We definitely have been on a trajectory that's unsustainable. And we've been on that trajectory for quite a long time. And that trajectory of unsustainability is because of the program that's running the software of the, of the humans. And the way we can change that is by transcending the software and getting into that state of wisdom and meditation is going to play. I, I believe anyway, and this is subjective and purely my own personal experience. And I'm sure everyone's got different objectives and, and perspectives of this. But for me personally, having seen how much meditation changed my habitual patterns of behavior, not entirely, but it certainly has played a big part in that. And I'm certainly not a enlightened monk that's suddenly all pure and, and holy, but that definitely has had a, an effect on making me become a better person. And I see this time and time again with other people because they start to liberate themselves from the indoctrination, the program that was putting them into the problems in the first place. And so if I could, if, if I, I see this on mass happening, if we become more wise, if we feel we become more connected, if we, we transcend those layers of indoctrination, start to function from a different layer of wisdom and, and awareness, then literally collectively, that's going to change the way we function on the planet. And uh, we're going to go from a much um, less of a state of I am lacking and I need something to feel more fulfilled, whether it's more clothes, more people, more love, more sex, more drugs, more alcohol, more people, oil, more people's coal, um, to a place of, I feel innately fulfilled within myself. I feel more of an unconditional lovingness. I feel um, a greater sense of connectivity with nature and with other people. And there's less of an individualized sense of lack and whole as in empty holes that I'm trying to feel and more of a fullness than, everything about the way I go about my life starts to change quite dramatically. We need to give people that experience. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's when things are going to start to change dramatically. And then hopefully we can deviate from the current trajectory we're on and take the fork in the road. That's going to lead us to a much more harmonious existence, not just for humans, but ideally for the animals and plants on this planet as well. Yeah. Which is a very, you know, we're in a mass, mass extinction basically of, of animals. Yeah. At the moment. Yeah. Um, 
is that Dr. Do, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about too, like the vibration, like the collective power of when we all start to raise, like if, if uh, peace rallies, for example, where people are all putting out positive vibrations and because in, thoughts are energy and our bodies are full of energy and that we collectively um, can, can affect other people. Um, have you, have you um, read the book, The Heart Math Solution? Uh, the heart, um, I haven't read the book. I know about the heart math guys and they're doing some great stuff and the wedding yeah. science is doing some great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that there's, is, 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 you know, being able to tune into the heart and the heart has its own intelligence and the heart mm. has its own intuition. I'm part way, part way through the book now, but all of these, so many people saying the similar message and the science, what's exciting for me is that the science is starting to back up what the, you know, the people who were classed in the woo woo, you know, world, um, the science is actually starting to show that this stuff mm. is actually real. And, 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 you know, I've got a very, you know, scientific mind in that respect. I like to know what makes, so I don't want to be just told, go and meditate because it's good for you. I want to know why is it good for you? And I want to understand the mechanisms by which it, it helps you. And I think uh, it's fantastic now that we're actually getting the research through from the top scientists in the world are actually finding out that this stuff actually does make an impact. And this is the method that it does it. Um, and that's that's quite fascinating too, you know. Um, I'm reading, you know, also the um, an old book, you know, Think and Grow Rich, um, Napoleon Hill, and I'm and absolutely shocked, which is a book that everybody's known and read, but it, I don't know, it's what 80 years old or something. And a lot of the stuff he's actually saying back then that is actually being proven right now, you know. And mm. all of the stuff seems to be going in the same direction. It's it's very very fascinating stuff. So Tom, I want to go now into um, your project that you've taken on and this has been seven years in the making and I want people to understand this <laughs> when you see um, so you I want you to tell them in your own words why you started this project with the portal and into the portal um, tell us about the mo the movie and the book and yeah. where it's going when I started to see the power of meditation in people's lives and the, I, I really wanted to um, share it with the world in a big way uh, I, I couldn't understand that this technique, which had been around for five, 10,000 years, wasn't being embraced en masse by the world uh, because it was profound how it changed my life and other people's lives. And I could see that time and time again, it was just a great device to make our lives better. And I, I set about to, to do two things. One was inspire a billion people to meditate daily through the Stillness Project. And then part of that was to, um, create a film that would show the power of this technique. And I didn't want to show a film or make a film that was, Hey, you should do this because X, Y, Z, you know, I, I didn't want it to be a lecture. I didn't want it to be just information. I want it to be moving. I want it to be immersive. I want it to be experiential. I want it to be a film that had never been done before. That was quite groundbreaking because then it had more potential to go viral and reach more people. Mm. And so that's where the film basically was born called the portal. Um, the portal being the process of meditation, transcending. And the the book came off the back of that, the film and the book coming out very shortly. Wow. And, and, and we, we spoke before we started recording about what that journey entailed mm. that really interests me. Um, give people a little bit of a background of what it takes to actually do something of this nature. Because we, we sit down in front of the telly and watch <laughs> Netflix and we watch The Secret or something like that come on and we go, oh, that was great. Wow. You know, awesome. Uh, on to the next one. Um, 
this is years and years of work and years and, and, and huge risk, financial risk yeah. and investors and searching for partners in order to make an impact on the world with a movie um, and the book. You know, how do you, in like, how do, is this part of your, you know, your, your broker mind, if you like, mm. that enables you to look at a massive project like this and to know where you're going with it? Because, you know, I've done quite a few documentaries and stuff, and I know that I didn't have that bigger picture and <laughs> understand all of the aspects that I, that I would have needed to know to help make some of those go better. Um, and that's what's fascinating for me that you had the, the courage to take on such a massive project. Where did that courage come from and how did you even contemplate it? I don't know if it's courage or stupidity. I'm so tired. <laughs> it's really exhausting. Um, we're seven years in now and it's, yeah, it's, it's a very tiring process. Um, look, because of the vision, and this is what I never understood about a lot of documentaries, is that you know, if you're going to make a film that you want to impact people's lives, then you, you need to want people to see that all over the world. You know, I, there's, I, I, it's all day. I just think, how do I, how do I get someone in Sweden to watch this? How do I get someone in Kenya to watch this? How do I get someone in New Zealand to watch this? You know, because I know it can make their life better by giving them information that is powerful and it's a beautiful experience. Uh, it blows me away how, you know, it can take you seven years to make something that someone watches in 90 minutes. It's, yeah. it's like, what? That's right. really something wrong in that formula. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, we set out with a vision that first and foremost, we wanted the world to see it. It, it had to be something that, that was worthy of the world seeing. So we had to raise money from investors who are an amazing group of people, incredibly patient and very supportive. And they're just, you know, we're, we're wonderful to be working with them and for them. Um, and we brought a team together of, of great uh, writers, directors, producers to, to put this project together that knew the ins and outs of the industry. We had some great mentors and great advisors along the way. We had an amazing crew, great camera people, great sound people, great composers. You know, everything from the get-go, it has to start with your intention. And, you know, we would meditate and we would share our intentions as a team on a daily basis in production wow. so that we continually set out to set a standard that was worthy of that and of course it's not perfect and you know everyone will be able to watch this film and they'll be able to find flaws in the process but hopefully it's unique and special and 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 moving that they, they see the richness and the quality in it as well and it's subjective so we understand that's going to be possibly polarizing for the audience because it is a very different film it's done in a different way that's not your traditional film and um but always coming back to that intention and what's the best camera that we can use to give the best quality? What are the best stories we can find? You know, we scoured 300 different stories around the world that had crisis and used meditation to move through crisis. So, wow. you know, they had to have certain standards and qualifications that we wanted to, to meet and everything just, you just keep setting that bar. Um, and I think that's really coming back to, you know, people like Joe, Dr. Joe's work and is, is, and you know, think and grow rich you know what are your intentions what is your initial mindset and what is your global vision or your grand vision for the project and if your vision is oh, i just want to make a documentary and put it on tv then you'll probably have a different approach to that process so it really starts with from the very beginning so it, it takes a hell of a lot of courage and, and risk um and, and and so you're you are a visionary and you want to leave a legacy behind this is probably why you've put yourself through such an arduous process and a you know very difficult process and not given up along the way you know how have you sustained yourself through all the 
the problems because you know we know that they are massive in, in a project like this. Um, how have you managed to keep that vision though pure in your mind, being able because people want to know, like people often ask me, how the hell do you comprehend running three hundred kilometers through the desert? How do you mm. When, when they're starting out and they're trying to get to 5K and they can't comprehend um, doing something that massive. Um, and for me, it's very much like just one step at a time and, and you know, opening up. When you, when you take a, a step in faith, the next step usually appears, you know, and you, you, you start to slowly lift your horizons up. Is that how it was for you as well? Or how could you, you know, comprehend such a big thing? Yeah, you know, it's... To- really honest i mean there were days where i just did want to quit you know there was definitely times when it was it was just so hard and it was so grueling you know <clears throat> i won't go into some of the darker times but you know there were some really really challenging times along the way where um if i if i could have i probably might have stopped but uh, you know we had investors and we'd spent a lot of that that money we had to i had to, i i just felt so much about having that responsibility a to those people that had given us the responsibility to handle their money and make something that, that they gave us the money to make um, to fulfill that obligation and to do it as best I possibly could. You know, it's just my nature to do things. If I'm going to do them to try and do them as best as I possibly could. Um, but I had a word of advice from one of the men that was in the film, a wonderful gentleman, Daniel Schmachtenberger, who's an incredibly wise sage. And I highly recommend everyone look him up because he's a profound sage and futurist and he whispered to me uh, when I was talking to him on the side of the filming one day, how, how I was finding the process quite challenging at times. Um, you know, I love teaching meditation. I love running retreats. I love coaching, but making a film, oh my goodness, <laughs> talk about being tested. Um, he said to put my shoes, put myself in the shoes of someone that's struggling that needs to see this ah, perfect. And, and, and forget that you're here. And, and ask who, who needs to see this now. I oh, love that. And, and, and it was an immediate shift. Mm. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. It's about, and it's not even about a legacy because even that for me sounds like something that I want. It's, it's about just how can I just make someone's life better? Oh, that's such a powerful thing. And, and I can so relate to that with, you know, the book that I'm trying to get out, which is yeah. like two years in the making <laughs> and yeah. on a smaller scale, obviously, but I've been having, Oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? And it's, you know, obstacle after obstacle and problem after problem. Um, and what gets me through is to thinking, you know, there, there was a couple of books that I had during the darkest days with mum that got me through. And this is, this is my way of giving someone else that book, that will be the light for them. And if it can help one single person hmm. transform their lives because this book was written, then this whole thing is worth it. Absolutely. You know? yeah. And when you, even when you're like, you know, you're speaking on stage, you do a lot of speaking, you get, you know, you're nervous before the event and you get up on stage and I always try and put myself in the, in the shoes of the person who needs to hear from me today. And immediately that shifts my whole focus as to what's important here and it's not my ego it's that person needs to hear my message and i don't care if the other 99 people in the in the uh, you know sitting there don't get it that mm. one person needed it and that attitude really changes the, the the ball game for you doesn't it when you absolutely take the it's not about me away from it and you yeah. become pure service if you like 
um, to what you're doing. So, Tom, as we start to, you know, wrap up here, um, where can people, like, when is this movie and the book coming out? Where can they find it? How can they get involved with this? And where, why, where should they start if they want to start meditation as well? Just so we really want to make an impact with this show. So Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, to, for, with the film and the book, the best place to go is entertheportal.com. That's enter, E-N-T-E-R, and then theportal.com. And they can find all the screening times. We'll be, we start screening in Australia. The Q&A start on the 10th of October in Sydney, and we travel around Australia um, but the national release is on the 17th of October, so that everyone can buy tickets in their local cities um, for that. Um, we are screening in Auckland on the 7th of November um, for uh, at least one or two weeks, depending on how well it runs. So everyone can watch it at the um, at the Rialto Cinema in Auckland, and that's on our website as well. So yeah. you just go to watch the film, and you'll see on the on the top of the page, watch the film, then you'll see all the cities that you can watch the film. Wow. And then uh, if it's not screening in a capital city, um, the, if it's not screening near you, sorry, uh, you can actually host your own screening. So we've got a platform called FanForce. We've already got people in Kansas, in Scotland, in um, Frankston, Victoria, you know, lots of different cities popping up now where people want to host that screening and show it to their audience, their yoga community wow. or their meditation audience or their football club. You know, they can put a screening on themselves. Oh, um, and, and, and the company will help support those people to do that for them. And that's going to be quite a big part of what will be rolling the film out over the many next sort of many months ahead, probably 12 months ahead at least. Um, so all of that's going to be happening on the website. They can get the book and the film there. Um, as far as learning to meditate, uh, you know, obviously there's apps, but if you want to learn with a teacher, you know, you can Google transcendental meditation in your area, tra Google Vedic meditation in your area, um, you know, find a teacher in your vicinity that's teaching a technique and do your research, find meditation techniques that, you know, that even within Vedic meditation, there might be teachers that you resonate with and teachers that you don't resonate with. So there's techniques you'll resonate with, there's teachers you'll resonate with. Um, but having that support is going to make a massive difference and ongoing support as well. Like, you know, I offer ongoing support with my students, you know, every, every week and every fortnight, they can come to group meditations. We can get online and we can take them through a meditation together. Um, and that really is part of the, the process of learning to meditate. Um, I, a lot of that, I've got an online program people can learn. If they can't access a teacher in their area, I put that program into a 21-day digital program. And they can get all that from TomCronin.com. TomCronin.com. Okay. I'll put all those in the show notes and they will be really good resources for people to start out on this process. Um, are there any final words, Tom, that you want to share with the audience, you know, that um, people listening out there, what, you know, any, any last bits of wisdom? I think we've covered quite a lot of <laughs> ground and I could talk to you for hours, but um, anything else that you wanted to add to that? I think a lot of people are struggling with overwhelm at the moment. A lot of us are really struggling to find our, our way in life because it's becoming intense. It's, you know, it's, it's new territory, uncharted waters for, for, for a species to have these phones and, you know, all the technology and the information that we're being hit with it on a daily basis. But to go back to simplicity and within all that complexity, the complexity of our lives and complexity of our minds, there is simplicity and that's in the stillness and the silence. And to just not be afraid to put a little bit of time aside each day from being distracted and connect to that inner space and to open up to the, this richness that's within us all. And it's not in the pleasure pain dynamic of the outer world. It's in, in, it's in a profound state within us. And so just 
to find a way to find your portal to get into that inner space and, uh, and start to discover what lies within. Take the step and enter the portal. That's a great way to finish. Tom, thank you so much for being Pleasure. on the phone today. It's been an absolute honor to have you. I hope this take this film takes the world by absolute storm and it really has an impact on people's lives. So I just want to thank you for your sacrifice and what you've done to actually make this happen. Um, and I wish you all the very, very best of luck with it all. Thank you so much. Great to be here and thanks for listening, everyone. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. And head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.